0: This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. It's such a pleasure to have you join me today for another uplifting and transforming conversation. And, you know, that's really what the purpose of this program is for. It's to allow us to be inspired, to connect again to that infinite possibility that we all maintain within us at all times that we have such power to create our lives, to heal our lives, and to reunite with the true essence of who we are, which is love. So thank you again for your time, for being here. And by the way, if you would like to get the archived shows from the Love Code and from the other program that I do on Progressive Radio Network, which is called What Women Must Know, then you can either opt into my website, which is drcherylfellman, com or you can go to my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know, and just stop, like me there. And then you'll get all of the shows that I do every week. Great information, inspiring people, and it'll support you on your journey to greater health and wellness and transformation. So I'm going to introduce my guest. I'm, I'm so excited to have as my guest today, Dr. Erica Elliott She is the author of her um, new book called Medicine and Miracles, My Life Among Navajo People. And I have to say, um, uh, I've been reading Erica's book. Uh, It's compelling, and uh, it's such a profound story. So let me just tell you a little bit about my guest. So Dr. Erica Elliott is a medical doctor in Santa Fe with patients from across the country. She has lived in many different countries while growing up. Her adult life began as a school teacher on the Navajo Reservation in the early 1970s. She later became a Peace Corps volunteer in South America, working as a bilingual educator. Then went on to become a high-altitude mountain climber in the Andes, Outward Bound instructor in the Colorado Rockies, and then a medical doctor in New Mexico. She helped co. She helped found a co-housing community in Santa Fe called the Commons, where she raised her son. Erica's life has been a mythic journey of wonderment and life-changing experiences, including two major medical disasters, which ultimately led her to find her life purpose of service to those who are suffering. So, it's just such an honor to have Dr. Erica Elliott to be with us today and to share her wisdom and her journeys and her inspiration. So. Um, let me officially welcome you, Erica, to the show. It's so nice to have you on The Love Code.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. I'm great about interviewed by you.
0: <laughs> you know, um, as I was saying early on, as I mentioned to you before we started, I've been reading your book, uh, Medicine and Miracles by Life Among Navajo People. It is such a great story. It's such a great read, it, but it's also such an inspirational journey, and it's a profound insight into the Navajo culture, which I have such respect for and so honor all indigenous cultures. So um, so I just want you to know it's been an absolutely wonderful read and a, a powerful message you've shared in your book. So thank you for putting all that together and bringing it out into the world.
1: You know, I've carried around this story with me for almost 50 years, and the reason why it took me so long to write this story is um, because when I was experiencing all these things, they were so far from the reality I was raised in, I I was seeing things that most people would never believe. So I kept a very detailed diary, and when I showed my friends and family, they said, oh, my God, you've got to write this story. And I said, no, there's no way I'm going to write this story because no one would believe it, and because it's not most people's reality. It's far from uh, our everyday reality, what I experienced. And so then... (laughs) Actually, after I got older and matured, I didn't care if people believed me or not. I, I I just wanted to tell the truth, and and if they couldn't handle it, that's that's not my problem. But I was so busy as a medical doctor, I, I um, just couldn't have time to sit down and and write that book, which which would have been not very hard because I had documented everything, so in such detail. But then when all this recent divisiveness happened in the world, this hatred and racism just blew up, I thought, okay, I have to write this story. This is a healing story. This this is a story that, about crossing the cultural divide and how that can be so profoundly um, life-changing for the person who does make that leap across the cultural divide.
0: So, so first of all, I'm so glad that you finally arrived at um, sharing this story and this message. And um, I'd like us to begin by maybe sharing a bit about your journey, Erica. And what was it that um, guided you, led you to first of all teaching in a Navajo community, and, and then later in life going back and serving as a a doctor in in the indigenous community. So tell us a bit about that journey.
1: So um, I was originally an art major in college. And before I graduated, I realized that um, there's no way I could make a living being an artist. I'd probably starve to death. And so I thought, well, I think I'm going to... uh, be a teacher (laughs) it was just on a a whim of you know so I'd have something a way to make a living and so I got my certificate and I graduated in when I was looking through the trade journals all the positions for an elementary school teacher looked boring to me and uh, I, I wasn't really attracted to any of the openings There was just one opening that just leaped off the page and almost grabbed me and said, this is where you need to go. And it it was um, a boarding school in the middle of nowhere in southwestern United States. I'd never been out there. And it was um, in very desolate country. And boarding schools... Native American boarding schools had a very, very bad reputation of treating the children badly, um, molesting girls and eating boys and washing mouth out with soap if they talked their own language. So people would ask me, why would I want to teach in a place like that? And I said, you know, I really can't explain it with logic it's just something i know it's my inner compass tells me this is what i have to do even if it doesn't make any sense i call i i apply for the job and i didn't hear from them i thought oh it's probably so in demand <laughs> that that um <laughs> they didn't love me and so i thought oh, i'm going to take advantage of this fact i'm going to take this um uh opportunity to visit my relatives in Europe and Switzerland and travel around and stuff. I did that, and I came back to the States, and I traveled a little bit in the States. And when I arrived at my sister's place in California, the letter on her coffee table, very battered letter, it had been forwarded from place to place to place (laughs) trying to catch me. And it was from the Bureau of Indian Affairs in Washington, D.C. And I opened it. And it said they, they accepted me, and it was a year old, the letter. I well, told my sister, I'm going to call Washington and see if the job's open. She said, oh, there's no way the job would be open. Well, I called, and they said, yes, the job's open. We want you right now, even, even though the school year had already begun. My After I hung up, my sister said, it's still open? That's a really bad sign <laughs> that, that no one wants to work there. She, she, again, said, are you sure you're making the right decision? This doesn't seem right to me. And I said, yes, I don't know why. I can't explain it, but I this is what I need to do. And so all my life has been guided by intuition. And when I haven't followed my intuition, it's disastrous. And, um, in fact, the two things that happened to me later in life were because I didn't follow my intuition, the bad things that happened. But anyway... Um I drove out there, and at first I thought, oh, gee, I did make a mistake. This place looks so desolate, and my eyes weren't trained to be in the desert, so it all looked brown to me, and the buildings were ramshackled. It looked like they were stuck in the 1950s, cowboys driving their pickup trucks with Wayland Jennings saying, She's a good hearted woman in love with her two timing man and, and there's like one gas station, one little restaurant, a grocery store that just sold not very healthy food, and one road. And um the rest was all dirt dirt roads. And um when when I got there and met the principal, then met the teachers and started talking to them, they they sounded, they seemed like they really hated being there. They were just waiting to retire to get their government pension. And they didn't say nice things about the kids. They said they can't learn and um, so forth. And I thought, oh, geez, I, I have really made a mistake. And then my first day teaching, it got even worse because the kids didn't look at me. They were looking down at their desks. And the teacher aide was Navajo. She was very shy and talked too much in the beginning. And I, I didn't know what to do. I felt so awkward. I, I, I sort of picked up a book and started reading. Nobody was was looking at me. And so I got the roster, and I, I pointed to people. And when I pointed to them, they'd cringe like I'd shot them with a dart. It was just terrible. And I walked around in the town. Nobody said hello, and when people talked to each other, they all sounded mad at each other when they spoke Navajo. And so I had a really bad impression, and after a week of this kind of thing, I called my father, and I said, you know, I I really made a mistake. I, I think I'm going to come home and look for a job back east. And he said, thank God – he said, You can't judge a person or a place or a culture or a land after one week. Look, he said, Why don't you stay there three months and then if you're still unhappy come back east and look for a job out here. Said, oh, okay. So I thought for sure after three months I'd be I'd be gone in heartbeat. But what happened was so magical the next day teacher aide, Donna Scott, who happens to come from an extremely famous family, her father was one of the code talkers in World War II. The code talkers Mm -hmm. spoke their own language. It wasn't even a code, and it was the only code that was never broken because Navajo language is so difficult. It's, It's like, no, I'm a linguist. I speak multiple languages, but this was like nothing I had ever encountered in my life. And so she had lived on different military bases, so she spoke fluent English, and she was traditional Navajo, so she knew both worlds intimately. And her brother, R.C. Gorman, is a very famous uh, painter in the Southwest. Most people know his name in the Southwest. And anyway, she stepped forward, and said, it's one of the first conversations we really had, she said, I can see how hard you're trying. She said, so let, let me tell you about NAVO culture. So she invited me to her house for dinner, and she started explaining why the kids didn't look at me. She said, they, they don't look at you because they are very shy. They're not used to white people. That's why they go to boarding schools, because they live in such remote areas. It's not like the public school and And, um, also, they're showing respect. It's considered very rude in traditional Navajo culture to look somebody in the face when uh you don't really know them and so forth and um you only do that if you're friends with them or their family or you know them well and She said, and they don't talk to you because yes, they're in the fourth grade, but most of them don't speak english and how, how is that possible? How could you get to the fourth grade and not speak English? And she said, well, well, many of them have to stay away to herd sheep for the family or help the newborn baby help out because they're short-handed and so they're out of school quite a bit. And also, she said the learning materials they can't relate to at all. It's Dick and Jane. That's not their reality at all. And also, the teachers don't really like them, and so I, I was so shocked. And and, uh, so, and she said, you know, I can help you break the ice with the students. She said, if you if you're willing to learn just a few words of Navajo, this will make a huge difference. These white people, she said, nobody even tries. They don't even know how to say hello. She said, um, "If you, if you can, I can." She said, "I see how much you want to connect with them. If you can, if I can teach you just a few words, this will make all the difference." So, taught me how to say, "Good morning, my children. My name is Miss Elliot. What's your name, and where do you come from?" So, oh my God, it it was so hard just learning those words because. There's sounds in Navajo that just don't exist in English. So there's no way she could write it down, show me these sounds, because you th- she have to use symbols that don't exist. And um and in those days there was no dictionary or anything. I practiced late into the night odd sounds and the next morning <laughs> I walked into the classroom and this is what I said. And I must have said nonsense because, you know, the pronunciation is so hard. But they all looked up at me at the same time. <laughs> it was the first time we made eye contact. And then one of the girls put her hand over her mouth and started to giggle. And then everybody burst out laughing. That was the beginning of the most amazing love affair between me and the students. So what happened was, at the end of the day, the, the bravest boy in the class, the most bold boy who spoke the most English, came up to my desk, and he couldn't say my name, El, Elliot. So, so they all called me Elliot, like E L T. Elliot. He said, in, in his staccato, because that's that's how Navos sound. sound is like. Um, and staccato. So he said in English, "Let take me home." And I said, "What?" And I turned to Donna Scott, my teacher aide. I said, he said take me home." And she said, "Yes, wants you to check him out of the boarding school." I said to the boy, "You want me to check you out of the boarding boarding school?" And he said, "Oh, that means yes in Navajo." And I said, "You mean this weekend?" He said, oh, I said, you "Mean take you to your home?" That oh, and I looked at Dawn. I said, "Am I allowed to do that?" She said, "Oh yeah, you have to. Anybody's allowed to do that, but nobody does it. But you have to fill out a lot of paperwork." So anyway, that became the beginning of a weekly tradition. There's 36 kids in my class, and every weekend I took home a different kid in my four-wheel drive Jeep, and sometimes we had to go on horseback deep into the most beautiful place I'd ever seen in my life called Canyon de Chez. Oh, my God. I had no idea that this wondrous was right there in the desert. It was so magical and mystical. So with Billy Begay, I drove way deep in the canyon to his hokon, the traditional Navajo home, the eight-sided log home, and I had the time of my life that weekend. They didn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak now. <laughs> I knew how to say yes and no and what's your name, and that's about it. And we rode horses bareback. We did all sorts of exciting things. I had and stuff like that. They were so nice to me, and um, even though – You know, we couldn't speak each other's language. And so anyway, what happened is the more I learned Navajo, the more they took me into their homes and their hearts, and eventually I really could speak pretty good Navajo, they started inviting me to their ceremonies that were completely off limits to white people. And several families unofficially adopted me. Not, you know, not legally or anything like that. And I got a Navajo name, a Sausage, which means Navajo woman with red skin. And they called me that because I was always sunburned. And um, anyway, I I saw so many things, so many wonderful things. And by the way, when I came back from the weekend with Billy Begay, the whole boarding school knew about every detail of what happened during the weekend. And so I had this brainstorm that I would use their experiences to develop new curriculum so they didn't have to use Dick and Jane books. And so we developed meaningful curriculum. Well, fast forward, it ended up so successful that um, the principal called Washington, D.C. and said there's, you know, this – this Caucasian lady here who speaks Navajo, and do you want her to be part of your pilot program for bilingual bilingual, bicultural education? So, yeah, my classroom was one of the first in the United States as part of that program. The BBC came and filmed us, and the kids loved talking to the crew and stuff, and we sang songs in Navajo to them. But anyway... So so here's what here's the magical thing that happened. Kids started to get on fire about they wanted me so badly to learn about their culture that they learned English so fast, they completely caught up. We're we're at fourth grade level and by the end of the year I entered three of them Students into a regional speech contest, and all three of them won. One in poetry, <laughs> can you believe it? And uh-huh. uh, something else. And I kept a newspaper article that's very old and yellow now because I thought this is absolutely unbelievable. And it's a testament to the power of love that they knew I I cared deeply about them and loved them, and and because of that love. They wanted me to know so badly about their lives that they learned English like a house on fire. And these kids, contrary to what the white, those white, old, nearing retirement, there's a board teachers, contrary to what they said, these kids were really, really smart. Very smart. They had to be brought out. They had to, somebody who, about them and was interested in their culture. And so I'll stop and see if you have any questions about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, um it it boggles my mind and maybe this is the deep seated racism you're talking about, about the um you know, the the Anglo white culture has had towards all indigenous cultures. You know, this is bias that they they, they, they were so judged, and they were perceived as being, you know, uneducated and primitive, and what an arrogance, right? And and even telling the story to the audience now, you know, most, most people around the world, whether it's Australia or whether it's the U.S. or whether in Europe, have had very little opportunity to experience and learn about indigenous cultures and how profound those cultures are profound wisdom and profound knowledge of all the healing arts and just you know this this amazing connection they have with each other with life the universe so you're, 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 the opportunity to tell your story is also allowing all of us to enter into the world of the Navajo culture which is precious, which is so profound, and um, very little opportunities for people to really tap into that. And I just want to say, when well, we talked a little bit before we got onto the show, that just this weekend I was able to attend a, um, a, a sweat lodge ceremony that was conducted by a Cherokee medicine man. And it was sweat lodge, and we were in teepees, and we did ceremonies with this very special eagle pipe, he had it was it was it was more profound and more meaningful for me than any religious (laughs) service i could go to right for me it it just was honoring life and the cycles of life and the nature and the sweat lodge ceremonies are all about releasing our pain our anger and giving it to mother earth and as we do that we we heighten the, the love frequency on the planet. And this is this is what we need right now. This is so profound. So so I just want to say you're sharing this journey and, and I'd love for you to share more about what what gifts you received, what gifts that the novel oh community
1: I, gave I, I I've made so many profound gifts. I, I could go on and on, but I'm gonna tell your listeners about Something that was so mind-blowing that I had no way to explain it. And this is one of the reasons why in the early days when I was more insecure, I didn't want to write the book because what I'm about to tell you, I thought nobody is going to believe this. But, okay, so here's what happened. One of the families that, quote, adopted me belonged to the Native American church, and that's the peyote church. And it was by the government, but white people at that time were not allowed to attend. It um, invited me to attend. Um, I'll tell you what preceded that. I had been going and saw one miracle after another, but I'd like to tell you, flash ahead, to tell you a miracle that happened directly to me. Um, That is, I developed this lump under my jaw and I was not a medical doctor. I didn't know the first thing about it. And But I I saw it was growing, and it was really hard. And I sort of got a little bit worried, but I decided, like some of my patients do, to just uh, forget about it and hope it goes away. But it kept getting bigger. In fact, one of my students said, Elliot, you have a goiter? <laughs> because the goiters were pretty common back then because there wasn't iodine. The salt wasn't iodized. And so you'd, maybe one in a hundred person would have goiter, which is the whole thyroid is inflamed and enlarged. This was a lump, but so it didn't really fit the goiter thing. But it was big enough that she thought there's something wrong with my thyroid but then I realized, oh, my God, I have to do something about this. And so I drove all the way to uh, Sage Memorial Hospital. It's two hours away. And I... And hospitals. Who would think I'd ever end up being a doctor? I thought that it smelled horrible. It's very sterile. I, I just... like it. And so, anyway... I went in there, and the internist evaluated me, and he said, this doesn't look good. It looks like you've got a lymphoma. I didn't know what that was, but I, I said, is that cancer? He said, yes. And he said, we're, we're going to have to do a biopsy, schedule a biopsy. And so I, I said, okay, and then I walked out the door. I was so scared. And um, so I told my teacher aide, Anna Scott, um that um, I wanted to do a biopsy, and I didn't want to. And she said, oh, no problem. You know, we can find, there's a medicine man who can help you. And she told me how to find him, and it was impossible practically to find him. Here, here's her instructions. You go down the arroyo, and then you, you'll see these two pinyon pines. Go a little bit beyond that and on the left there will be this giant sage bush. You turn left. I mean, I got so lost that I finally found him in the middle of nowhere, and he took a look and listened to my story, and he said that that wasn't his specialty. <laughs> and so he told me there's a Hopi medicine man. So I took another day off on the weekend and s- searched for that Hopi guy on the Hopi reservation, he was out herding sheep, and he said the same thing, it wasn't his specialty, so now I was really despairing, so I told my Navajo family, adopted me, is that, um, about my situation, and uh, Navajo mother said, oh no problem, you know, we'll we'll have a, a ceremony for you they call it plant medicine they don't use the word peyote and it's never used for recreation they condemn that it's always for spirituality prayer for healing and um so um she said we have to share it with another family because it's so costly This as a gift to you but meant butchering a sheep and and their livestock, that's their money in the bank. So that that's a big sacrifice. They have to butcher a whole sheep to feed everybody. And then they pay the roadman a fee. Shared it with a family with a sick baby. And so I had to dress in my Navo finery. They didn't allow me to go in with white man's clothes, so I I had a velvet shirt and a satin skirt and a woven belt and tons of turquoise hanging from my ears, from my neck and I looked like I was ready to go to some Navajo prom. I look really <laughs> really beautiful in their clothes. And so filed in. I'd been to quite a few ceremonies by this time so I knew what to do and and um Oh, it was all praying, all in Navajo, praying and singing all night and drumming and so forth. And I was thought that it was – I was just focusing on the baby across the circle from me, and the mother was holding the baby. And I watched the whole time how the baby started getting better. The baby was really fussy, obviously with a fever because the skin was totally upper-colored, and a lot of mucus and stuff. And as the night progressed, the baby got more and more peaceful. The the mucus was not so prevalent. And the skin color changed too. And it was just looking and gurgling at its mom. And, And completely forgetting that the ceremony was also about me. And so when dawn came, we filed out on the ground, touched our foreheads with the ground, fanned ourselves with the eagle feathers, and then went into the neighboring cinder block house where some of the women had been up all night making breakfast. Sat on a big sheet on the dirt floor. And there was a big spread of dry bread and canned peaches and stew. And um, people were just at me, I, I, the roadman—that's the medicine man. The roadman was staring at me, and he was staring at me, and I—I I, I didn't know why they were looking at me like that. Finally, I realized. Oh, my hand went up to under my jaw, and—and and there was no tumor there. It had disappeared, and to this day, you'll see me fifty years later. I'm, My finger, make sure it never came back. I just couldn't believe it. To this day, I keep feeling it. Wow, it's still—it's not there. And how how would you explain that to somebody with a totally um, logical brain? Can't because in that reality, that's not possible. But this happened. This is real. So I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And um, I, I once made a mistake in med school of mentioning that, and, boy, the reception I got, <laughs> mm-hmm. I realized I am just going to keep my mouth shut. And and uh, the first time I was in a peyote ceremony was totally mind-blowing because I, I had just been there a month. I only spoke a tiny bit of Navo. It was very simple at that time. <clears throat> I only knew a few phrases, and that's, it. and um, and so ABO family, the same family, invited me for my first peyote ceremony, and I was really scared because I knew that uh, plant medicine would make, put me in an altered state, and I <clears throat> I didn't know what to expect. It was kind of scary for me. Um, <clears throat> but she said, "Don't worry, you know, I'll sit next to you, I'll tell you what to do and stuff like that." And she she spoke English fairly well and so we lined in there and I sat on my Pendleton blanket she was next to me and um, this one was also a prayer for a sick baby also and for um, uh, the uh, Navajo veterans in Vietnam War who had been home either dead or very injured so it was a ceremony for them also it was very fervent thing fervent. I mean, you know, when people say Native Americans don't show emotion, oh, they showed so much emotion. There were tears, and I heard the word Jesus, and that was about the only English word I heard the whole night. And um, But anyway, so what happens is the peyote goes around in three forms in the sea, and the powder and the button and it's all very horrible tasting. I I thought I was going to throw up, and my Navajo grandmother said it's it's good to throw up. It gets the evil out of you. And I thought, oh, well, I don't want anyone to know I'm evil. So I kind of choked it back. And um, but anyway, and then I I could start feeling really altered, and um, I I remember. I'm um, sort of having this hallucination. I hallucinated that I had a wedding ring on, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm married. I I, I can't remember who I'm married to, and everybody laughed. and I, I didn't say a word. This was a thought I had, and they were looking at me and laughing at my thought. And then my next thought, which was silent, was nobody's ever going to believe this. And then the roadman looked at me and said, "No, they won't. You don't have to tell them." I thought, "Oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> they, they can read my thoughts." I mean, this was just so mind blowing. And and it got even more mind blowing when I'm about to tell you. So so then um, part of the school well, is in these hand rolled um, cigarettes, and the what you're smoking is um, these sacred that are gathered on the San Francisco peaks in Arizona. And what you do is you inhale, exhale, and then you say a prayer. And so it goes around the circle so everybody does it. And my Navajo mother on my right, she did it, and then she passed it to me. She leaned over and whispered, pass it on. And I did not pass it on. I held exhaled, and I started praying in Navajo. fluent Navajo. I was praying a prayer I'd never heard of in my life before, obviously, and I, I had this dialogue in my head. While I was praying in Navajo, I thought, wow, this couldn't be real, but it's, it's more real than real life, but it couldn't possibly be real. This this must be <laughs> theme or something I'm having. And then I passed it on, and then the next thing that happened was the water drum, where it's a metal drum and with a hide stretched over it. There's water inside, and when you beat it, it sounds very ethereal, very mystical. And then you sing a song, a prayer song. And so the same thing happened. My Navajo mother did it, and then she passed it to me and said, "'Pass it on.'" And I did not pass it on. And I started beating on the drum. And I started singing a prayer song I'd never heard in my life before. Hey nay Yang a yo way, hey yo way. And I, I thought, Oh my God, this 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 peyote is just like whoa, so strong. It, it just feels real. This dream I'm having. And so I, I passed it on, and then gradually as the night progressed it, and it became morning, it had worn off, and I couldn't understand anybody anymore, their Navajo. And while out, we went to the neighboring uh, cinder block house, and again, we sat on the floor, and everybody was looking at me, and the Navajo roadman at the end of the or he started talking to me nonstop in Navajo, looking right into my face, right into my eyes, and and talking to me, and and then he waited like for me to say something, and then I didn't say anything because I didn't know what he was talking about. Talk some more, wait, and and then I I was felt so awkward that I. I said, "Um, excuse me, uh, you know, I I don't speak Navajo. And they all burst out laughing. And then he said, and said, You sure talked up a storm last night. Oh my God. Oh my God. He said, I said, Did that really happen? He said, Yeah. He said, That really happened. You prayed, you sang all our sacred songs. Oh my God. So how how you can see why can you see why Cheryl I wasn't about to write a story about this. I would be bitter like uh you know, uh maybe a good imagination or even worse that I was crazy. Because these things don't happen in the regular white world. You
0: know, I think I think we are at a time where um there's so much interest in these plant medicines. Erica, that, you know, there's such a a need for them and a receptivity to understanding the gift for plant medicines. And obviously doing it in a traditional ceremony uh, is so profound. Do you think that you had um, Navajo past lives? That's what they,
1: they said. They said that I had... I I asked them over and over, "How could I talk Navajo? How could? How is that possible?" And they they said that um, that I have a Navajo heart is what they said, and I think that means past life or something. And because, yeah, and many people said, um, you know, I I had an old lady, and uh, when I was a, a medical doctor. And, uh, she, she didn't speak English. And I said to her in Navajo, uh, come, come on in, my grandmother, come sit down. And she, she was stunned. And she said, Navajo, are, are you Navajo? <laughs> and so, and so I, 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 no, I, <laughs> and she said, oh, I think you're, you're Navajo from way back. She said,
0: so, so Erica, I mean, your life is so interesting, and then obviously went on and did amazing, had amazing experiences, and then landed in medical school, uh, which I, I mean that's a whole other show. I'm sure we could talk about. But here's here's my question: those experiences that you've had, you know, with the the amazing time in that Navajo community, not only as a teacher, but I know you went back as a doctor and worked there and that very poor community and you helped them um what is you know what is the message that you really want to share with people from writing this book and the many experiences that you've had so far i'm sure there's more in store but so many, mes- what? Many, yeah,
1: mes- many messages compelled me to write the book i I only like to write if I think it's going to be of service. I I don't enjoy writing, right like some people do. They write to just write. I I I get all energized, ignited to write if I think it's going to be of service. And so why I I wrote it in the end is because several reasons. One is to to um show how. I followed my own inner guidance. I did not follow what society says I was supposed to do and and it led me to the most wondrous places. So part, one message is to follow your intuition, follow your passion, even if everyone's saying, "Are you crazy?" You know, that that doesn't make any sense. So that's one message. The other message is if you are able step into another shoes that's different from you, they talk different, they look different, they have different ideas, different interpretations of life, if you're able to get into their shoes with empathy and compassion and love, it, it can be so life-changing what you learn, because we live in a very limited reality, it's so small, it's like we live in a very tiny box, whereas <clears throat> There's so many other realities out there and so we can really expand our minds and our hearts by crossing that cultural divide. I mean this this was so profound what happened to me, it influenced the whole rest of my life. And if I had not followed my father's advice, I had left the reservation really bad impression I mean what 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 I would have missed is just tremendous i I would have missed um total transformative experience i I'm so grateful for my father's wisdom, so grateful I didn't just quit
0: yeah yeah i mean isn't that the message to be open and curious about? The people you meet and who they are and where they come from and you know how we are—we have our own unique journey, but we're all the same. And you learn that when you are exposed to different cultures. I you know what, Cheryl? Love that. No, go ahead.
1: Yeah, teacher aide Donna Scott. She interpreted everything that happened the first week. It was nothing like. I thought it was completely wrong. I mean, because I interpret it through my own culture. I had no idea they were showing respect to me. I thought there's something wrong with these kids. They don't don't talk. And and I I, I made so many cultural mistakes, so many blunders, so many misperceptions, so many misinterpretations. And once Donna Scott uh, started Sharing me about her culture, I thought, "Oh my God! I how many white people just totally misunderstand what's going on? Just like those school teachers, maybe, maybe those old board school teachers. Maybe if they had somebody you know, talk to them about how to interpret, you know, tell them Dick and Jane books don't mean anything to these kids. Nothing. It's it's not their reality. It's like." talking about something on the moon and, you know, with the white picket fence and and the lawns and stuff. And, um, you know, it's just it's so foreign to them. Anyway, so I I, I was lucky because I got some help with bridging that divide. Thank God.
0: So do you think that that experience early in your life and then all the things you've done, but it really was the... Key to open you to your soul's journey in this lifetime.
1: Oh gosh, yes, gosh, yes, and it made me realize I I had this feeling, Cheryl, as a little girl that I had a purpose in life, and I I didn't know what it was, and um and and so this experience with the Navajo people, I realized that whatever was my ultimate purpose. It had to include, uh, paying information that would, service to the other people. To, it would empower them, and, and it had to be done with love. And so, all in my journeys, Peace Corps, everywhere I went, I was gathering ideas of uh, what my ultimate purpose was. It had to this, and it had to include that, and it had to be include some some kind of teaching. Some kind of empowerment, and and for for the person's better good, and um, empowering them to be them their full selves, and and feel good. So I I was gathering information all along, and it led me to medicine. But what's not in this book? It's in memoir three that I'm going to start. On. I just finished the manuscript for memoir two, which is called From Mountains to Medicine: My Search for Purpose. Memoir three is. I was in medicine, and I thought, oh, I found my purpose. This is it fits everything, and, and it just wasn't right. I was in mainstream for 10 years, and I thought, geez, this isn't what I've been looking my whole life for. This is just uh, uh, like dispensing pills and not really having a relationship with the patient, not getting to know them, not really helping them in a meaningful way, just treating symptoms. And then I remembered the Navajo word for white doctor was really telling. They they said, a which means he who gives out pills. And I thought, geez, this is not the right path for me. But it took a catastrophe, which I don't want to go into now, to get me off that golden path and onto my real soul's path, which I've been on since 1993, and it's been... It's practicing medicine, combining everything I've learned across the world with different cultures and in alignment with my soul and my spirit and what I know is right and with common sense and critical thinking and um, so meaningful and so rewarding that people say, why aren't you retired? You're 73. Why would I retire? I love, I love helping people feel better and empowering them, giving them the tools to figure out some of their problems themselves and the tools when they do have to deal with mainstream medicine to um, be more empowered, saying, do I really need this CAT scan? And what will it change? And do do I, you know, do I really need all these pills? And, And how come we haven't? about what the underlying problem is and stuff like that. And so I can't tell you how how absolutely rewarding. And it was worth all those years searching because the whole search brought me to what really my soul is all about, my spirit is so nourished Um, practicing medicine in this kind of way. So I had to leave mainstream completely. And you know, be out of the insurance rat race and all that stuff, and um, and to do it the way I I feel is right. Because I don't, I think mainstream medicine is is really broken. I mean, really.
0: And um, I mean, you, you don't even have room for new patients, right? <clears throat> you're you're.
1: I've been, they making new demand. patients for five years because they come from all over the world. People are so hungry to be listened to, to be heard, to be really helped in a meaningful way, and and to so I, I had all these people come from even Europe. Now they don't come anymore because they have doctors like me now. But but in that early days, they didn't have doctors who knew the first thing about uh, the. The role of food, the role of mold in your house, the role of toxic chemicals, the role of, you know, all these things we never learned in med school, they don't pay any attention to, they just give you a pill. And so my whole thing is, why do you have asthma? What what made you have asthma? So how can we get rid of those triggers and how can we heal your lungs instead of just giving you pills? Why are you having headaches and insomnia? How, what are the factors that go into that? How can we, you know, really uh, heal you from the ground up? And so, so mine is a whole systems approach, and including the spiritual, too. And it, that's why it's so rewarding. And to watch people get well is the biggest thrill, especially, you know, they've been to 15, 20 doctors, spent their life savings, and actually – Sometimes it's not very hard to figure out what's wrong. You just have to really talk to the patient, get a timeline, when did this start happening, and what what are the symptoms, is there a pattern to the symptoms, uh, what was different, you know, you were fine and then you weren't fine, what was different in your diet, what was different in your marriage, what was different in your home, in your air you breathe uh your activity at work what what something happened to make you have your chronic stomach aches or whatever and so i love figuring these things out they call me they've nicknamed me the health detective because i get so much pleasure out of trying to figure out why people don't feel well
0: and you know <laughs> you you can't really support a person on their healing journey unless you have time to unravel all of the pieces of a person's life that have brought them to this place, this moment in time, right? So uh, it makes so much sense to me that it's hard to do with a 15-minute consultation, though, and that's unfortunately how much time many doctors have do that you know Uh, uh, yeah won't even go there (laughs) we're we're at the end of we're at the end of our our time so i won't even launch into that story okay um you know this is um it's just such a such a pleasure to have you on the show erica to um, have you share just a small tidbit of this very profound journey that happened early in your life to have uh, an appreciation for the Navajo culture, for all indigenous cultures. If we come with a curiosity and an openness um, to just learn, we will receive so many gifts from the wisdom of these cultures. And you really shared that with us and brought that home to us. So thank you so much for your willingness to share. Thank you for the wonderful first part. I don't know how many versions of your memoir there will be, but um, Medicine and Miracles: My Life Among Navajo People by Dr. Erica Elliott. Uh, such a beautiful book, such a beautiful read, so inspiring. I encourage everyone to pick up a copy of that book. You won't be able to put it down. So Medicine you have a last and Miracles. I just want to say that if people want to learn more about um, Dr. Erica Elliott, to go to her website, which is ericaelliottmd.com, and you can learn more about her work, her her information, books, anything else you want to say in the minute we have left, Erica. Yeah,
1: I'd like to say there's a blog post I do as a public service. Your listeners might really enjoy it. It's called Musings, Memoir, and Medicine. Musings with an S. Musings, memoir, and medicine, all one word. And it's a mishmash of excerpts from all these memoirs that I'm writing. And also, where your listeners might be interested, I have so many patients that want to see me, and I can't. So as a public service, I do these medical blog posts, and they're things that you're not going to learn from your doctor. And they're common problems, but with a different approach, like different approach to osteoporosis, different approach to breast cancer and so forth and you click under categories and they're all medical posts and um and a lot of people have gotten benefits out of reading all from they'll find their particular problem and read about it and it's it's quite different from mainstream medicine and um so i and the book's full title is Medicine. wait where do they find that Erica where do they go is that from your on your website no, they go to Amazon.com to get the book. It's Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert, My Life Among the Navajo People. And um, get the recent edition that's a cover with an eagle on it, because there's two editions, and you want the updated one with the, about what COVID did to the Navos on the reservation. So be sure to get the more recent version. Okay, and to get all your blogs, to get Oh, get, it's musings, um, memoir, and medicine.
0: Okay, is that where the information is for the, all, the information. all the different conditions?
1: Yes, musings, memoir, and medicine.com. People use it all over. I've even had Australians, use it. I I have uh, people from South Africa read my blog posts, and so it people send it all over to their friends and stuff. So I hope your listeners find it useful.
0: That's great. Well, we've come to the end of the show, so we have to go. Thank you, Dr. Erica Elliott, for um, a wonderful conversation today. And to all my listeners, uh, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.